Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, This is the Effective Marketing Content Extravaganza. And if you've spent a second here, you will know that I'm on a mission to give you everything you need to be successful in your business or be successful in your marketing career. So I am here giving you everything I know about sales and marketing. I'm pulling in anyone I can find with experience that is relevant to the success of your career or your business to extract what they know about sales and marketing. I am reviewing the very best and the very worst of marketing content on the internet, and every couple of weeks we bring you the marketing news. But today is talk marketing, and so we have a guest. So today's guest is an economics and business administration graduate with a master's in strategy, organization, and leadership. He started work as a student teacher in 2006. Since then, he has been an innovation project manager at the Copenhagen Business School, lectured about Excel, that's Microsoft Excel, has been country manager for the Nordic region for both Elance and Upwork. He has held three CMO and one head of marketing position. He is currently co-founder and CMO of Dream Data, which offers go-to market efficiency and presents transparent, actionable analysis of what drives business-to-business -business revenue. So we're talking today about B2B attribution. What in, your market, what in your marketing is actually delivering success for you? Today's guest is Stefan Hedebrandt. And I was going to, Stefan, check how we um, pronounce your surname, because I don't think you pronounce it like an English person in Denmark. <laughs> you did you quite did well, quite Martin, well, Martin, Martin, for, uh, for uh, an English speaker. Definitely, definitely approved. approved. Okay, I would have, because I lived in South Africa for a little bit, would there be a, it's not like a head, it's a head and Brent. No, 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 it's more it's like, more a, like a, you don't, like you don't like push, push hard, hard on, on the, the D, D, so it's so Danish it, 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 it would be Hilda Brandt. Okay, well, I knew there was something going on there in the way of pronunciation. <laughs> I knew there was something going on that I wasn't getting. Um, how are you doing, man? It's good to be talking to you. You are in Denmark, are you? I am, I yes, am, in, yes uh, in, in Copenhagen, the capital, the capital of, uh, of Denmark. Excellent. And how's the mood in Denmark? You're coming into winter. It's going to get cold. Yeah, yeah and I think, and I think uh, somebody, somebody just, just blew, blew up, up some, some uh, gas, gas pipes, pipes uh, just, just outside, outside of the, of the Danish, Danish territory, territory last night. So, so the, uh, the politicians, politicians are a little, are a little bit, bit uh, yeah, yeah, cautious, cautious right, now. right now. Oh my God! I didn't. I didn't know that someone had blown up the gas, the gas pipes. No, there's no. They say they have no proof, but who has the uh, sentiment not to produce gas for the winter in Europe? Oh my God! That's the story. Yeah, the thing is, you need all the gas you're going to get really this winter. I think so. That is. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Okay, on a brighter note, Copenhagen was voted the happiest capital city in the world, wasn't it, for a number of years? 
Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a very, very nice place, place to, to, to live. To live. Uh, I'm very, very happy here. Happy here. Excellent. Okay, cool. That's good. I've never been. I'd like to come to visit um, Copenhagen. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure it's the it's summertime. summertime you're you're in it. <laughs> okay, you don't recommend the winter? No, definitely, no, definitely not. not. <laughs> okay, super cool. I will come in the summer and I will track you down and you can buy me a beer. That's the way we will work I will, it. I will. <laughs> okay. All right, super cool. But we're not here to talk about Copenhagen, uh, Copenhagen or Denmark or gas pipes. We're here to talk about what I think is a really interesting subject. Like you're in the data business. Um, I teach digital marketing. We do digital marketing for the data. Mm -hmm. But the frustration I think very often is how much data is actually available to us. I mean, I'm in a privileged position because I don't actually have to, I don't do it very much anymore. And I teach so I can paint like the ideal picture for the students and get them really excited. But I know when they go out in the world, it's not going to be quite as rosy as the picture that I've painted. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. I'm really fascinated, interested. You know, we do. I tell people when I teach them digital marketing, it should be like driving a car and the data should be like the instrumentation that you have on, um, yeah. on the dashboard of your car. But in reality, I don't feel like it's exactly like that. But I don't have to imagine what it's like. We've got you, and you can tell us exactly what it's like. <laughs> so as you know, there's only um, five questions. The first question is, how are you qualified to talk to us about business-to-business -business attribution? Um, you might yeah, need to yeah. define attribution for our audience as well. So we'll start there. Um, the second question is, um, who do you work with? How do you add value to their lives? The third question is, what is your recommendation for people who want to get better at B2B attribution? The fourth question, really easy, um, what should people read? And the fifth question, who can you throw under the bus who might endure or maybe even enjoy to have a conversation like this with me? So question number one, Stefan, how are you qualified? Well, firstly, what is business to business attribution? And then you can tell us how you're qualified to talk to us about it. Yeah, happy yeah, to much. Um, so, so B2B, B2B describes <laughs> the businesses, the businesses who trade, who trade with other businesses, other businesses opposite, opposite of businesses, businesses who, you know, you know could be could selling, be selling running, running shoes. So you, so as a business, sell to a consumer, normally called it B2C. B2C. Uh, so, so meaning that meaning when, businesses when businesses trade with businesses, with businesses there's... Um, a significant, a significant layer, layer of complexity, of complexity added, added to uh, the customer, customer journey, journey whereas, whereas in like B2C, B2C it's typically it's me, me search on Google, Google clicks on an ad, and buy a running shoe. In B2B, B2B uh, you, know, you know, the journey, the journey is, typically is typically six months, months long or 12 months long. long. There might there be two, three, two, three four, four, five people, people in like a, like a, a buying committee, and there's a million searches between your team and their team as the customer journey progresses. And all, and these, all these things, things makes, it makes it very hard, hard for, for, for people to understand, to understand what's going, going on if you, if you don't, don't have a, have a very, very decent, decent setup, setup for, for like controlling, controlling what data you care about and what data you don't care about. So, so the, the, uh, the word, word attribution, attribution basically, basically just means, means one, one make, make sure you, sure you collect, collect all the data, all the data you, have you have about, about customer, customer journeys, journeys and then, and then two, two 
understand which parts of the or which part which of those touches were actually the important touches. So when we're in B2B marketing, typically our touches is in the earlier part of the journey because it's the sales people who gets the contract signed. So, so us as B2B marketing, marketing, we want, we to, want to understand, understand which, of which of our, our activities, activities are consistent. Are consistent the, uh, you could say starting up new journeys, journeys that, end that end up becoming deals that the sales people sell to. Whereas, Whereas uh, you could also you could be also doing, be a, doing lot a lot of stuff, stuff which, which would never ever progress, ever progress to, to the sales people's pipeline or to new business one. And you want to get rid of the things you do that is not producing more money for your company. Okay, and then super. Coming, coming, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so and then, and then yeah, my, my, my background for this is that I've been in uh, in B two B marketing ever since I uh, graduated university more than ten years ago now. Uh, and uh, before, this before this company, company I uh, was part of this kind of classical growth, growth journey from less than twenty employees to hundred employees and spending zero on ads and spending. No, around, around 100,000 euros, euros on ads per month, month uh, at the end. Um, and in the and beginning, beginning, you have a pretty good idea as, as you put in some money. Like, like what is the causality between we did we this and this and this happened on the other side. side. But, the but the last, last kind of 20,000 20, euros, euros you put, put into the monthly budget, you don't really have an idea about what becomes of it. And that is and not, that a, not a very, very responsible, responsible or, good or good way to way be doing business. business. You should have you a have quite good idea about if I do A and B, and B, B then C, C comes out on the other. And uh, th this was a topic I was super interested in in my, my last company. And at the end of my tenure there, I basically met my two co-founders who had a very ugly prototype of this product we sell today at Dream Data. But I suddenly could see that I could with the prototype, start to see you know, which of these ads that I buy six months later ends up becoming pipeline for the salespeople, or which of my content pieces are the ones that produces buyers, and which of them is just producing people who look at the content. So there's all these very granular questions about my marketing activities. I started to be able to see. There's actually somebody here who can tell me that what works and what doesn't work. And um, yeah, that got me, you know, very convinced because I knew the pain firsthand that if you can build a product here, you can build a pretty, pretty great business around it. Okay, excellent. And I think that's the crux of the issue, isn't it? It's, it's what works and what doesn't. So it was John Wanamaker who said in the middle of the 19th century, yeah. I know that 50% of my advertising is effective. I don't know which 50%. And what I tell people yeah. on my courses is that if somebody you employ comes to you and says that in 2022, then you should take them out into the car park and dispense with them because that's just not accessible. That's just not acceptable. That's not <laughs> what we're doing anymore. You know, we are data-driven marketing teams. Apart from it's not quite as simple as that. Um, so that's cool. So tell us about for anyone who might not understand quite what a buyer journey is. What do you mean by buyer journey? Um, so if you picture uh, a company buying a piece of software, then it's we're basically talking about any touch that led up to you signing the contract with a company. So that could be, if we describe it, that it could be somebody searching on Google for a specific term attribution 
then we would show you an ad and then you'd go to our website. Then as you browse our website, you might download our ebook. And that's all you do for this, for this day. Then you, the next day we send you another email with a new blog post, because if you like that ebook, then you probably would like this blog post as well. And then you click this blog post from your phone and come back into our website and read this blog post. And then, you know, six months might go by, you're exposed for some ads. Now your boss comes and tells you, hey, we actually need a product that, that does ABC. And that was actually what this ebook was about back then. <laughs> so it's kind of trying to like, you know, step by step, understand what makes those money uh, end up in your bank account. And if you know, if we can understand this journey of every uh, every uh, new business we want, we've won, then hopefully we'll be able to replicate some of the things that are consistently present in those bio journeys. Yes, a hundred percent. And and this is what I say to the people I teach, <laughs> given that I don't yeah. have to do it, is that the mission is kind of like you just go on this loop continuously. And it is a journey. You're taking people from a place where they don't even know you exist to a place where they're putting money in your bank account, you know, and there, there is a mm. journey. And like you say, there's yeah. touch points on the way. So I don't know. They might see a social post. They might walk past your exhibition stand. They might sit and watch yeah. a video at some point. Um, they yeah. might Google you, you know, there's, so there's lots of different places. And the mission yeah. then is to know which of those marketing initiatives have been effective so then you mm. can redirect resource into the most effective marketing resources and that will have the effect of increasing the efficiency of your marketing so that's the way i understand it it's complicated yeah. because how on earth do you know really like so the the one that i've put in there is then walking past your exhibition stand now yeah you know, how would you know if that's happened? How would you know if, they, if, if they've watched your YouTube video on the subject? How would mm. they know if they've been in the pub with um, a colleague telling them, you know, <laughs> you should check out these guys? So there is yeah. always in this some unknowns. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's interesting about what you're saying is that you're making decisions about which of these are important touches explain ex how how do you deal with that issue you can never 100 percent. i think know. you're exactly and we will never like say to anybody we'll tell you 100 percent of what's going on so you're completely right martin that there's there's stuff that is measurable and then there's stuff that is either hard to measure or impossible to measure and here that's where you kind of need your gut feeling and common sense and experience as well as a marketer all right, sorry. Can you hold that point there? There's someone in the street and the dog's barking at them. It's not going to stop until we go. I'm going to be back in 90 seconds. Okay. Sorry, Steph. Fine, fine, fine.
Sorry, man. I will put a little cut in there. Where are we? We are at 15 <laughs> no minutes. Cut. Okay, cool. So, sorry. Do you know what you were saying? Yes. So, we were coming from you saying that, you know, meeting somebody at a pub or walking by an exhibition stand, uh, that's hard to measure. <laughs> and you're, you're completely right. Um, so what what our tool is doing you can, at DreamData is we're taking anything that is digitally measurable and mapping that into a a customer journey. Then there's still things that takes place that is valuable but almost unmeasurable. You know, people in a community on Facebook or Slack writing to each other, recommending stuff, etc. And that's just that's just how the world is. So we will take any data that you sit upon and map into a customer journey, but then you'll still also have to, you know, you know, use common sense and your gut feeling and experience as a marketer to think about, is this still a meaningful activity to do? Is it the right people that gets the right message? Yes. Okay. Because I have a, f what do I have? I think the world is starting to think a little bit differently about kind of digitalization. I think we've got to the point where a lot, what's the word? A lot of respect was given, too much respect was maybe given to digital and too much importance mm. was given to digital. Now we yeah. love digital as marketers because, you know, we can justify everything that we're doing, but I'm yeah. thinking maybe it's less of the picture than, than we've been attributing to it. And it's going to be less of the picture as we go forward. You know, I think people are behaving differently around digital now. What do you think? Uh, kind of yes and no. Um, I do think that there's things that digital is consistently valuable, but then there's also people who underestimate you know, the power of actually having a beer with somebody at a conference <laughs> or, you know, seeing an ad on a billboard two times a day it probably also leaves an impression of a brand uh, so and so forth. So, but I think the most important thing is that you just, you know, for any uh, marketing activity, you're critical about, uh, is it the right people who's going to see my marketing? Uh, is it proper messaging for the right person and then what is the cost of this thing and then sometimes you actually have strong uh, quantifiable numbers that this works and other times you have to run a little bit on the gut feeling as well yes because also it's um i mean i really hope that we're not going to get to the point where we stop having beers at conferences with people you know i really no. hope that that, that <laughs> we're not, that's not going to end um so by the term attribution, um, we are attributing value essentially to the marketing initiatives. Like which marketing initiatives do we attribute with a contribution to making that lead or that sale? That's, that's what we can do. So I suppose exactly. because it, even if it's digital, it's complicated. So I don't know the answer, but do we know when they've seen a display ad, if they don't click on it? Do we know yeah. when they've seen a pre-roll ad? Do we know, um, because it's not until they kind of identify themselves that
that we have any idea who they are. Exactly. So right. you're right. Those are good examples of stuff that uh, where you don't get access to know who's watching what. So what you can do uh, today is you can have a tracking script on your own website that monitors everything that enters your entity. But you cannot, you know, Google or LinkedIn or Facebook do not expose who views something. That would be illegal for them. So you can only measure stuff that takes place on on, uh, on places you control. Okay. So you can, when they come onto your website, you can, you can see their IP address and you can put a cookie on their, on them, on their machine, on their browser, whatever. And at that yeah. point you start, you can start to know where they are, where they're turning up. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, and initially they will be anonymous because, you know, when you first enter a website, you don't know who they are. You might see which IP address they represent, but you don't know who that person is. And so they might have three, four or five visits to your website while they're anonymous. What our technology does is that we record every visit. Where did they come from? What did they do on the website? Uh, but they will just keep writing to that anonymous log. And then once people submit a form on a website, this is where we get consent to look at what they did in their past sessions on the website. So now we know that Martin has been on our website five times and he came from these sources and he looked at these uh, pages, but not before he gives his own consent for us to, to, to take the unidentified ID and connect it with, you know, something that is actually Martin Henley. Okay, and can you do that retrospectively? So when they sign up, then you can say, then you can attach them to that IP address which has yes. been showing up. Okay. Yeah. Right. You see, what I'm feeling now is that you can only really, I mean, so I'm seeing now that quite broadly, you can say, okay, this piece of content consistently appears in the buyer's journey. This piece of yes. content consistently appears in the buyer's journey. You know, so these are having positive effects in that people are showing up on our website and telling us who they are and giving us consent. Is that yeah, the same kind with of... a, a particular ad you have running or a particular keyword or yes, you, you want to see those things that are consistently present when people buy your product and then you want to either do more of the same thing or do similar things to what seems to be working. Okay. And I suppose then there are levels to this. Are there? Because if they're clicking on an ad, then you have mm. a greater amount of control. You know exactly where you're sending them. So that mm. is a much more controlled visitor than somebody mm. who turns up on your homepage and, and just wombles about through looking at various pages. Um, yeah. So does it make sense then? I'm I'm only thinking out loud about this for the first time, yeah, maybe. Right. But does it yeah. make sense that you say, okay, we are interested to attribute because there are different stages. Like so, when we talk formally about buyer's journey, there needs to be awareness. 
there needs to be I'm struggling now because I wasn't expecting to talk about this today. There needs <laughs> to be, cool. what do they call it, consideration. There needs to be, yeah. there's like five or six, isn't there? The last one is... Um, and maybe probably... in a more like, yeah, there's attention, interest, desire, action is one model. Uh, yes. In, in, B2, in the B2B, you typically name it something like maybe a lead and then a marketing qualified lead. Yes, sales qualified lead, and then a deal that you win. So you call call the different stages different things according to how the account progresses through your system. Yes, I mean I'm tempted to look it up now, but it's something about like attention, interest, desire, action is kind of the lead generation part, isn't it? But there is an established it's attention, consideration, purchase. I think there's something between consideration and purchase <laughs> or consideration yeah. and purchase are next to each other. There's something between awareness and consideration. And then it's yeah. advocacy is kind of the final one. And like maintaining the customer um, is in there as well. Yeah. Um, and so and so I'm thinking if you were to break this down and you say, OK, you have to go through those five steps. You know, because mm. people need to be aware of what you do. There needs to be some depth to the. They need to be aware that you exist. Then there needs to be some depth to their awareness of what you actually do and what it costs and how mm. you deliver it and all those things. And then they will consider yeah. it and then they will go through to purchase. So I'm imagining now that there'll be some, a value, uh, some value in doing the attribution maybe at two or three stages. So you can do, okay, this is what these, this is what we attribute our website traffic generation to and this is what mm. we attribute our leads to and this is what we attribute our sales to so does that make is that kind of how you work i don't know we haven't um so the trick is actually to look at who do you actually end up selling to and then working it backwards who reaches the sales pipeline yeah, exactly and then you do more of those activities that make them trickle all the way down to becoming customers so we don't want to optimize towards, you know, getting more people to visit the website per se. That doesn't, you know, give us that it doesn't help us pay any salary. We want to do more of those activities where we actually sell to the customer, or at least they go very far in the journey. So we want to like have special attention to these activities, and try to amplify those. And those activities who only pushes people to the website but never becomes buyers. We yes. don't necessarily want to sustain those. Brilliant. Perfect. Because who cares if they don't end up yeah, exactly. buying? Who cares? I mean, if anything, the danger is that you end up attracting more people who don't buy. And that ends yeah. up taking more resource salespeople talking to people who've got no intention of buying. Brilliant. Yeah. So a, 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 bit, a, a career advice for any marketer is to get as close to be able to prove that you are producing money with your activities as you can, then the CFO, the sales manager, the CEO is always going to like your work. Whereas yeah. if you're showing up with, I guess we're doing these things because I think, and uh, you have, if you have no proof that you're producing money, then that's when you risk getting fired when there's an economic downturn. A hundred percent. And this is exactly what I tell my groups is that the marketing were always the victim because, you know, when the when the boss is in a bad mood, they'll come pick on us because we just spend money. And historically, we've got no idea what value it is that we're, we're deriving. Do you know what I mean? It's like 
you spent ten thousand pounds where did the ten thousand pounds go it went on the billboard good what happened after that people yeah. drove past <laughs> you know it's yeah. no story whereas now with the amount of data that's available then we can tell the whole story you know we did this this was the outcome um this is what we've learned this is what we're going to do going forward you see i like to talk to people about um if i'm pitching marketing which i don't have to do anymore i like to talk to mm. them about cost of customer acquisition and lifetime customer values because these mm. are the metrics that demonstrate that you are not only generating money but actually mm. adding value to the bottom line you are increasing the profit yeah. profitability of the business if as yeah. they say um, if it's true that 30% of turnover is typically the cost of customer acquisition and you can drive that down and you can drive the lifetime customer value up, then you are impacting mm. the profitability. So we're together on that page. There is yeah, an issue exactly. here, isn't there, Stefan? There's a couple of issues here. One is about the kind of the nature of data and the way people feel about data and the availability of data. And I think the best example is what's going on between Apple and Facebook, where Apple have essentially um, diverted the stream away from Facebook and decided, you know, if their customers get, if they get their customers, if Facebook get their customers data, um, that's mm. probably the messiest way I could have said that. So there is an evolving attitude to data and it is becoming increasingly regulated and increasingly mm. more difficult to come by what, yeah. what do you think about that so i think there's oh there's probably always going to be an internal uh eternal uh cat and mouse chase between those who try to protect uh privacy and then those who want to exploit uh <laughs> cookies and uh tracking and and all the things you can do with these things but it's uh so it's, it's kind of it's just part of the game that you know you you do what you can within the law at any given time and then you try to make the most of the data the data that you you have available what um apple has been particularly hitting down on uh with something called intelligent tracking prevention is that they have started to delete cookies faster from ad platforms. So uh, they only allow a cookie to sit from a, for, from an ad platform, uh, at least that's what they say for around uh, 24 hours. So this means that once they enter your website, you'll only be able to advertise to them within 24 hours, and then they will clean their cookie, uh, store i can't remember the technical term but it means that it's harder to connect that this device has actually been on our website before if the only tracking measure you have is the ad platform but there's also been a rise of what you can call first party data uh, and first party data collectors which means things that we track ourselves and this is the bucket dream data falls within so we are we are just tracking what takes place on your website Meaning that today you came from Facebook, let's write that down. The next day you came from Google, we write that down. We're not utilizing this to retarget people and, you know, run ads towards them. We're just helping the company um, 
keep an overview of what's going on. And this type of cookies, which is set as a statistical tracking cookie and not an advertising cookie, uh, tends not to get uh, deleted. I don't know if that makes sense, uh, Martin. No, it makes 100% sense. So basically what you're saying is, like there's a war going on between Apple and Facebook. You guys aren't involved because you're only interested in who sends you and when they, or who sends them and when they send them. Please tell me yeah. that you've actually got someone there sitting writing this down. I would love that. I think that would be really good for the employment statistics. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't. <laughs> but uh, but maybe just to recap, what I mean is that at any given time, there's going to be challenges. And your responsibility as a marketer is to come up with this equation of these are the activities we do and then we produce money. Because then we can replicate this and scale it and put more money into it. I often yes. think about it as, you know, when I was playing computer games as a, when I was a kid, there would always be like cheat codes you can find to the game and then the game would get a significantly easier. And understanding the kind of customer journey that your customers take is to me the cheat codes to the game of marketing. Because if we understand which path they take, we can go out and, uh, and do more of these things. Cool. Excellent. And the thing is here is though, I think you're not really cheating. You know, all you're doing is, um, all you're doing really is the sensible thing, which is recording, you know, the effect of the marketing investments that you make. So I think that there are people who are, this doesn't seem to me, I wouldn't describe this as cheating. You know, I no, no, no. I have a very definite idea of what the limits of... Um, so, for example, Facebook recently um, were fined 400 million euros, I think, in Dublin for failing, to, in Ireland, for failing to protect um, the contact details of children. Oh. That's cheating. Do you know what I mean? That 100% yeah. is cheating. <laughs> I think yeah, you... Yeah tracking who comes to your website and where they've come from not even who um the ip addresses that that visit your website i don't think there's anything nefarious underhand to me that just sounds eminently sensible because increasingly now you're talking about ads when i was busy with clients we still got some benefit from the organic thing you know we could put a good piece of content out there and it would get some traction in the world well, we all yeah. know that doesn't happen anymore. So now we are increasingly having to support that content with money to pay the platforms. Yeah. So I think it's only reasonable that we invest some time and energy in making sure that, that we are getting as much value as we possibly can out of that, out of that um, investment. And more importantly, understanding what's working so we can invest more in doing that than, rather than what's yeah. not working and invest less in doing that. But the platforms aren't necessarily on our side as marketers. You know, they don't want us doing that no. work. They just want us throwing money at everything. You've got <laughs> yeah. me on a rant now, Stefan. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <No> problem. <laughs> but th- that's kind of how this is evolving. You know, I was there when it all happened. Um, and I think that would be my recommendation, a little bit like yours. What I say to people all the time is make hay while the sun shines because none of yes. these things are getting better. You know, now is the time yeah. to do this. Because it won't be as good tomorrow and it won't be as good next year and it won't be anything like as good in five years' time, you know. So 
the, the thing is now, I think, that there is some urgency. People need to pick up this stuff and actually be doing it because, and I've been saying this to people since like 2008, like none of these platforms are making it easier for us. You know, none of these platforms are interested in driving efficiency for us. They're interested in driving profits for them. Okay, good. I'll get off that rant. Okay, so do you want the good news? Yes. It sounds to me like you are eminently qualified to talk to us about business to business attribution. How do you feel about that? I think I am. <laughs> okay, good. You were confident that you were already. Okay, good. It's always yeah. a little bit um, sensitive when we get to that point, because what if I think you're not, then we're, then we're going to have an interesting conversation from there. But I do. <laughs> okay, so that okay, takes okay. us then to question number two. Question number two is, who do you work with and how are you adding value to their lives? So you're telling us that yeah. there's a tool here, is there? There's, there's a piece of software that does this work. What is that? Yes. How, how does it work? Who's it designed for? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's a thing. I don't know if we said it, but it's called dreamdata.io. And what we basically do is we set up a data warehouse for our customers. And inside of this data warehouse, which is a fine word for a bucket. <laughs> we set up this bucket for our customers and then we extract data from all the tools that touches their customer journeys. And then we extract all of that data and load it into the bucket. And then our algorithms start to clean up and sort this data, which leaves them at the end with a, like a timeline of every touch that we know of uh, from every account. And then systems that typically touch the customer journey can be like a CRM system, which is where you keep a, a lock of your communication with the customers, which meetings did we have, who did we call? It can be your uh, email tools. So which tools are sending emails to the customers? It can be a customer success tool and so forth. There's many tools that touches the customers. And then we extract the data from all the ad platforms, which ads are you running? What do they cost? And then we track the website in the middle. And this basically means that if there's any digital touch that touches your customer journeys, we map that into a, a customer journey from our, for our customers. And then you can ask who is our ideal customers for a, pro, a product like this? Because in some businesses, as you mentioned in the beginning, Martin, they are very heavily driven by conferences and events. But there's other types of businesses who do the majority of their business online or digital. And we call them software as a service companies, uh, so B2B SaaS companies. And they're kind of the way that they go to market is that they invest their money digitally in ads primarily. Then the salespeople sit you know, remote as we do today and talk with the customers. And they also deliver their product online digitally, which means that you kind of have a closed loop of the whole customer journey from the very first touches to the sales part to the product being delivered to the customers. And these are the people that we focus on, those who have a predominantly digital customer journey because that leaves behind the most traces for us to map that into uh, a customer journey. Okay, brilliant. And that is important because I don't think people spend enough time considering keeping their customers longer or making sure that people are actually making use of the service 
or yeah. actually getting value from the service. And if you are working, is it exclusively with SaaS providers? Like, let's say that's the one, they are the ones that we chase. If you come in and it's not in that bucket, we will still have a conversation, but the ones we chase are SaaS companies. Okay. Because the beauty of that then is that you get transparency of the entire process. You know, it's like yes, you can exactly. see even beyond where they become a customer because there was a statistic. I don't know if it's still true, um, but there was a, a group of middle-aged men working for the government in the beginning of the noughties did a study and they found that it was 17 times more expensive to find and win a new customer than it is to sell yeah. to a new, uh, an existing customer. Um, so this thing yeah, of I customer agree. attention, I think is really important. A hundred percent. And it is, <laughs> it hurts me so, so much the few times when the customers don't want to renew their contracts with us. <laughs> and it's kind of, a, I think that, you know, as a marketer, you should actually, you should be thinking about who is most uh, likely to renew their contract once you've sold to them. Those are the people you should try to generate demand from because then as you've acquired them, you'll just keep making money on them. And then, you know, you know, and this also implies that you actually attract somebody who's a good fit for your product and are likely to become happy customers as they will renew their contract. I don't know how you see that, Martin. I see that. I had a living example of this yesterday. Um, oh. And I agree with you 100%. So people waste a well let's start at the very beginning where marketers waste a lot of time and energy is counting the likes and comments on their social media you know <laughs> you can't buy anything with a with a social media like you know so so that's where they you start can't. wasting it and then you're right they start wasting money thinking about how many people have been on their website and they waste money on you know how many sales meetings they have necessarily um, so they waste money on all of this stuff the only thing that's really important is what you've said already, which is who actually ends up buying. And the only thing yeah. that's more important than that is who ends up actually taking the most value from what you're offering. And then who yeah. actually ends up being the longest serving customer in your business. So this yeah. is something that I've said to people forever. Like you should focus on your very best customers. This is beautiful because this comes around exactly so if it is 17 times more expensive to find and win a new customer than it is to sell to mm. an existing customer, if you're going to invest 17 times as much resource, then you want to make sure that that prospective customer is, is going to have a chance of being in your top three customers. You know, and certainly yeah. you don't want anybody who's outside of those parameters. Who needs more shit customers? Who needs more shit yeah. leads? Who needs more likes on their posts? I mean, nobody <laughs> needs that stuff. What you need are very yeah. good customers. And then what this mm. comes to is the quality of your product and the value that your product um, develops. I was in Singapore yesterday. And when I'm in Singapore, I like to go to the Maxwell Food Court. And the Maxwell, I don't know if you've been to Singapore, but it's just all these uh, like kind of um, kiosks. I've been to some food courts in Singapore. Okay, so you've got the idea. Now, when I go, I don't know what the name of this particular one is. But the food's amazing and it's in Chinese. That's why I don't know the name. I know where it is and I know which one it is because there's a queue. So I stood in the queue yeah. for this place for 15 minutes yesterday and I'm looking at all of these other 
um, food providers. And in the 15 minutes that I was in the queue, they didn't serve anyone. So they're basically standing there looking at the queue for this one place. And it kind of goes against everything that we think about serving customers, which is they don't want to pay the most. They don't want to be inconvenienced at all. They don't want whatever. And I think what it comes down to is that customers want the best product. (laughs) That's what they want. And when I was pushed for time yesterday, I was happy to stand in this queue for 15 minutes because I knew (laughs) that I was getting the best product. You know, there were others with longer queues, um, but I had experience of this one and um, I'm happy to stand in the queue. So I think this is the beauty, I think, of SaaS is that you get this this transparency. You can see how your customers are engaging with the software and the value that they're taking. And then because of that, that data is available. There's no excuse not to continuously evolve that to make it more and more and more and more valuable. Yeah. Um, is there a question in this? There is a question in this, which is, you know, about retention. So how yeah. is data working to support businesses to increase the retention of their customers? So like broadly speaking with data, then at least if you have a digital product, then you can see, you know, how often do, does this customer log in? How many uses is of the, you know, of the product? Which part of the product do they use? So there's actually, if it's a digital product, which we, we work with mainly, there's actually a lot of indications that they are happy users. Do they return every week to use the product or something like that? Yeah. Like, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it comes down to do they renew their contract or not. And then you want to, you know, you basically want to renew, uh, sorry, interview those who renew. And you also want to interview those who do not renew. So you write down what were the reasons for you being happy or unhappy. And then you tell your product team, the customers are saying, the unhappy customers are saying these things, the happy customers are saying these things. Can we, again, can we try to do more of the good things and less of the uh, less of the bad things? Yeah, a hundred percent. Because also there should be like a virtuous cycle in businesses where marketing identify the market, they pull out the people who have the most interesting, uh, that are most interest, yeah. most relevance. Sales have conversations with those people. Then it goes into production. They produce the product, and then customer managers are speaking to those people so it should be out of that that you evolve into an increasingly valuable product Mm -hmm. but i don't get the sense maybe that is happening in SaaS, but i don't get the sense that's happening in most businesses the way it seems to happen in most businesses is they've got a room full of boffins that never see the light of day um who conjure up like product and then the sales and marketing people are kind of forced into going out and to force that on the market. You know, that's mm. the way I see it. Yeah. How is it in SaaS? I hope it's more integrated. I think the businesses who do, does it does it wrong is that they don't think about the customer journey as one integrated stream. They think about it. Here's my marketing silo. We just do our thing. Here's our sales team. We just do our thing. Here's the customer success team. We don't speak to marketing or sales. And over here is the product team. And we don't want to talk to any of those commercial guys. <laughs> yes. And that's when I think you, you're doing it wrong because you want to do things the most effectively and you just want to spend your money the best way possible. And I think that's when you get all the teams to pull in the same direction. 
who is our ideal customer profile? How do we attract them? How do we make sure that the salespeople spend time on those? How do we make sure that product team builds the product for the ideal customer profile and so forth? So everybody's kind of pulling the same way. Yes. And then there's all this nonsense that people talk about a marketing-led business or a sales-led business or a customer-centric business. But I think that's mm. typically junk because typically businesses are led by the leaders of the business and they're led by their egos and they just want to do what they want to do. So <laughs> it's, I've experienced it quite often where people aren't interested in the data unless the data supports what they want to think. Does that make sense? <laughs> You know, if the, if the data yeah, is telling you... annoying if it tells you you're wrong. Yes. Yes. But I think there cannot be any ego in business. You need to be rational about what's working and what's not working and, you know, fixing the stuff that is not working and investing more in the things that have a clear sign that it's working. Yeah. I mean, I 100% agree with you, but I think 90% of businesses are ego driven you know it's like it's yeah. what the boss wants and the boss and the data better better confirm that what the boss wants is right you know what i mean i think that goes on but you're 100 percent right is it should be just about removing all resistance you know whatever like let's not make it difficult for the customer at all to buy let's not make it difficult for them to learn about the product let's not make it difficult for mm. them to use the product you know or it should be about removing resistance at every stage but I think this yeah. issue of ego is um, prevails. You know, it's what the boss wants <laughs> yeah. is what happens too much of the time. And businesses yeah. that are data driven have to be more successful. You know, because you're right at that point, it's yeah, not about yes. Good. So give us a sense then of of the kind of work that you've done with customers. You don't have to name who they are. You don't have to talk about anything strategic or secret. But give us a sense yeah, yeah. of what this could be achieving for a SaaS um, company or some success that you've had with SaaS companies. Yeah, I'll try to make it fast as we're running out of time here. But um, no worries. So typically, like we, we we see our customers, you know, lowering their customer acquisition costs with up yeah, around fifty percent because they get a like a new transparency into what's working and what's not working. So they, they can shift the money that used to go down the drain in things that was not working into, you know, things that is repeatedly present when they sell. So they become more effective with how they, they, they spend their money and, you know, that goes for their ads, their content. Even the salespeople are less blind when they sit and do demo calls with their, with their customers. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me at all because my experience of like once you look at, well, once you tell people what their cost of customer acquisition is and they pick themselves up off the floor and, and are able to have the conversation again, like there is so much waste in this that it's really not difficult to, to make things yeah. much more efficient. It's it actually really not surprises it, it surprises me how few businesses has actually thought about what they're willing to pay for a new customer. Yes, like even the ones that comes to us have not thought this through. What is what is a positive result for us? Is that us spending 10,000 euros acquiring a new customer? Is it 5,000? Is it 20,000? And if, if you've not really consciously dis decided upon this, then you're just operating randomly. Yes, you 100% are. And the thing is, if you 
like if you it amazes me how many people haven't actually factored this cost they think that there is no cost to acquiring customers so if their cost of customer acquisition is 30 percent and they're selling on a 20 percent margin they are losing 10 percent every time they they find a customer and this goes on in the world and is a, a lot of the reason why businesses fail okay cool how much time do we have left not a lot. <laughs> okay, so we've got three questions remaining. This Let's one needs to be fast. super short because I want to put it on TikTok. Yeah. So in less than a minute, what is your recommendation for people who want to get better at business-to-business attribution? My recommendation for this is really that people start recognizing that there is such a thing as an account-based journey, meaning that we're not in a B2C space. We are talking about a plus six months buyer journey, plus three people involved in the journey, a lot of touches. And that means that uh, all the ad platforms that they use, their Google Analytics are not able to understand this complexity. So they're bound to make wrong decisions if that's the only thing that they have available. Okay. And what they should do is visit (laughs) dreamdata.io. That's one approach, but I would say just recognize that in a B2B transaction, people are buying as a team and think about what this complexity means for your activities. Yeah. And wake up to the fact it's costing you actual money and time and energy to win customers and you can manage that to be more profitable, drive a nicer car, have nicer holidays, live in a nicer house, have a nicer retirement. That's what that's my what my recommendation <laughs> would be. Happy life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Question number four. What should people read or what content should they be consuming? I, uh, I just want to, like, well, our own blog on dreamdata.io, we, we put out, you know, one to two pieces a week on this topic, trying to make B2B go to market more efficient and trying to explain people how, uh, how does this work and how to think about data. So that that's one. Um, I sell, myself, I publish stuff on LinkedIn maybe four, four or five times a week about the same topic. So people are welcome to connect and ask any questions that they, they, they might sit with. Okay. Super cool. Is there a book that changed your life or your business life? <laughs> a book that changed my life? Uh, so I would say uh, Tribes by Seth Godin. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant book uh, to you think about in marketing because he basically describes the fact to think about if you think about a tribe as like for example surfers that's a very very small community out of everybody in the whole world so that means that there's if you think about surfers as the tribe then there's surf spots there's surf magazines there's surfers who are influencers there's maybe a few competitions a few magazines etc so if you're just present at those few places where the surfers look then you're on a, you know, on a smaller budget and then a budget for the whole world, then you can actually look very, very present in that small community. So Tribes is the name of the book by Seth Godin. Brilliant. Cool. Thank you very much. Okay, question number five. You need to throw a couple of people under the bus. You need to introduce me to a couple of people who might be interested or at least endure to have a conversation like this with me. Who have you got in mind? I would say my good friend uh, Emil Christensen, who is the CMO at uh, Drip.com now, uh, they just got a. He co-founded a company called Sleeknote that then got acquired by Drip, and he's you know one of the best CMOs that I know of. So I think you will enjoy uh, a good conversation with him. Fantastic! Is there somebody else? One more? Oh, 
who else um no i think i'll just leave it at that okay super cool if you could put together like a linkedin introduction then i'll pick up the ball I will. and i will run from there okay good i, I have thoroughly it. enjoyed this conversation man thank you thank you thank you so much for your time um what we'll no do problem. now is we'll say goodbye um and then um for the purpose for the benefit of anyone who's still listening then i'll press stop and then we'll say goodbye like normal human beings <laughs> i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation i think this is probably the most important thing in marketing is knowing how you're spending your money and what value it's actually delivering for you and i think it goes contrary to i think what people don't realize is we're actually dancing with these huge monolithic platforms facebook um, linkedin google and they are expert at extracting money from our businesses and if we don't become expert at knowing that we're getting value from that then you can very easily go out of business so i think this idea of attribution is probably if you're going to do marketing you have to do attribution because people will rob you of your resources entirely and leave you out of business and they won't even care and if you don't care to do that then maybe you deserve for that to happen um i've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation man it's been really cool if you can introduce me to a meal that would be amazing um, i'll do that for sure i will let you run bro because i'm sensing there's something urgent that you need to do <laughs> there is thank you so much for today do i need to stay up while it uh, uploads or anything like that no no